Children are precious. In our culture, children are revered and protected and beloved. In an emergency, the lives of children are often prioritized above adults. And my girls get really annoyed when the flight attendants say stuff about putting the face mask on the adults first. And Naya will often ask me, Mom, would you really put on your face mask first? (laughs) Yeah, honey, because I'd need to do it for you. And certainly those of us who are parents know what it feels like to have our lives revolving around these tiny people that grow so fast. Their needs and joys and pains. But things were different in the time of Jesus. In the first century, children were treated a lot differently. The rate of childhood mortality was so high, it was 60% of children would die before their their sixth birthday. So can you imagine, 60% of all kids would would be dead before they would be in kindergartner's age. So with the likelihood that they would die imminently, and the fact that they had no status, no money, no respectable, respectable connections, no place of importance in the community, they were basically ignored often, treated as labor, until they had proven that they would live long enough to actually contribute and offer value to their families. Beyond that, investing emotionally into children that would more than likely die was sort of daunting and unwise. The way that we feel about our kids and the way we put them first and change our lives and schedules according to their needs and adore even their most ridiculous shenanigans would be silly to the folk in the first century. So when Jesus brought forth a little child to the disciples, after they had been arguing about who was the greatest. Not in a way that looked like a children's sermon or a church nursery tableau. They were shocked. You know, see, this wasn't, we, we look at this, and even like the image that we had on the screen for the children's sermon was that just usual notion of what it looked like when Jesus did that. It's like, everybody just thought that was so cute. Look, Jesus has a little kid. And it's so sweet, and we love little kids, and we are all just heartwarmed over it. No, they were like, what? That snot-nosed little thing? No power? Nothing? You know, no importance? Why would he grab that child and bring him in front of us and then talk about what was really great? He was showing them something completely countercultural, something completely different than what they would imagine in their lives about who was great, setting what they had always known and always believed on its head. The week had gotten off to a weird start, right? Jesus had been stressing out the disciples about a lot of death talk. He would not stop talking about how he had to die. And not, not only that, but Peter had just been taken to task for saying, you know, let's just tone down I'm going to die talk, right? And Jesus was like, no, get behind me, Satan, forget it. So the disciples not only were troubled by these conversations and by the stuff that Jesus was saying, they were also freaked that if they mentioned anything to Jesus about it, they would get scolded like Peter did. So instead of trying to hash it out with Jesus and figure out what was going on, they did something very, very human, something that many of us do in stress. In their anxiety and fear about the future that they could not control, they chose to try to control something else. Am I the only one that does that? They began to argue with each other about the hierarchy within their own group. And this was not just a childish squabble, like what often happens in the backseat of my Honda Odyssey. 
it was really something that, that, that happened in the first century, a real hashing out of who was on top. They were constantly figuring out with their rubric of, of social importance who was on top. It was based on everything from who one's, grand, who one's grandfather was to how healthy their crops were, because remember, if you had healthy crops, you must be a holy person, you must be a good person. If they had a chronic illness, well, then they're, they're probably like down, because if you had a chronic illness, then you must be sinful. There's all these ways that people use this hierarchy. And it allowed people in the first century to give honor to some while dehumanizing others. It's a convenient trick used by humanity throughout history to ignore the needs of the most vulnerable and to ascend to power without guilt. We are not so different in 2018. We also have hierarchy. We also have people that we would rather just kind of, well, they brought it on themselves. We don't have to worry about them. We don't spend time talking about who is greatest, usually, because that's really kind of frowned upon in our society, but we have all kinds of ways that we show who is on top and who is not. There are lots of ways to express worldly greatness. There are designer handbags, expensive SUVs, the right zip codes, the perfect vacation pictures on Instagram. There are the right degrees, the right professions, the social pedigree of power, the right connections, there are all kinds of ways. Even the way that we dress and hold ourselves, the knowing social graces, being taught basic ways of being polite in company. Any of these things are not in and of themselves bad. It's not sinful to know to say please and thank you or to be respectful or to hold someone's hands up or not you know, say curse words in certain contexts. It's not sinful to go to Hawaii and take a picture on the beach. In fact, if you go, I'd like to see it. It's not sinful to have a fancy purse or a fancy car or have powerful friends. The trouble crops up when we start to ascribe importance to ourselves and others because of our obsessions, professions, appearance, or social standing. It is so easy to think well of someone when they are successful. It's easy to give respect to someone who's dressed nicely and smells good and knows the right and proper things to say in all social situations. We cannot judge the disciples and the rest of the folk in, in Jesus' presence in the first century about their intricate hierarchy because we do it too. We are just as concerned about greatness. We just don't argue about it openly. We prize prestige and money above justice. We ignore the sins and discrepancies of the rich and powerful, even as they use their power to hurt others. It's all over the news right now. We dehumanize and judge those who do not live up to our standards of greatness, and we ignore and deny evidence of our complicity in their suffering. We participate in this unspoken hierarchy without stopping to think about the ramifications to our world and to our own souls. Because when we judge others, you better believe we're judging ourselves too. And when we judge anyone on the rubric of worldly greatness, we all lose. We lose the joy of seeing all God's children as beloved. We lose the conviction that God's grace is sufficient for us just as we are. 
on our worst days and on our shiniest. We lose the image of God in the stranger and downtrodden that shows us in disturbing acuity God's supernatural hope and goodness. When we start to play by the rules of the world and forget the laws of the kingdom of God, our vision becomes small and our hearts shriveled. We have more than a slight advantage over those gathered that day, the 12, over 2,000 years ago, listening to Jesus talk about welcoming a child because we know what happened to Jesus. We know that the disciples who had been arguing about who was the greatest fled to the hills the minute blood was spilled. We know that the only ones that actually stuck around were women with no status because of their gender. John, who couldn't rip his eyes away. The criminals that were nailed to their own crosses beside him. We know that the God of the universe loved us so much that God took on human form to show us solidarity, grace, and life. And we know that God does not judge us on our earthly power or possessions. And that these things do not make us great. We've learned this from a young age. Jesus showed us this in every imaginable way in his life and ministry, including taking a child and putting this little one who might have died before her next birthday and pushing her in front of these folk and saying, you want power? You want to see who is great? Look here. Small. Vulnerable. Reliant. Malleable. Naive, silly, open-minded, open-hearted, endless possibility. You want to see greatness? Lay down your reputations, stop hiding behind your best performances, forget what makes you feel important, and come to God at your most vulnerable. Resist the temptation to judge or respect others Best based on these ludicrous things because they are ludicrous. Have the courage to take God up on God's offer of supernatural love, acceptance, and grace, and then turn that around and treat the homeless person on the corner with the same respect that you would treat the mayor. Jesus calls us to a different kind of greatness than the one offered up by the world. That one is bankrupt. It is a greatness that sets us free to serve and live in humility and love. It is a greatness authored by heaven to bring holiness to earth. It is a greatness that allows us to see the divine worth in all of creation. It is a greatness that allows us to be moved by the Holy Spirit to creatively welcome the reign of God. Amen. Let's stand and sing together, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross.